You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Odessa, Texas. You can connect with us online by visiting RedeemerChurchOdessa.org. Good morning. How are y'all doing? Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. So Tanner's going to be teaching from Ephesians 5. Uh, I don't know what page it is in the, in the Bible we have here. But if you raise your hand, I don't know who because Tanner didn't tell me, but somebody will come around and bring you a Bible. I'll be specifically reading uh, Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 12. Ephesians 5, 1 through 12. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for saints. I'm sorry, give me one second. I realize I'm reading from the CSB. (laughs) That's what I normally read from, sorry. Let me back up. Okay, I'm gonna start in verse three again. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when... Oh, that ends there. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thank you, Redeemer Church's resident stand-up comedian, Devante. Love your shirt, buddy. Happy Father's Day to you also. Hey, good morning. Uh, My name's Tanner House. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're a guest, thank you so much for being here. There's a connect card under your chair. You can take a minute, fill that out, let us know how we can connect with you how we can serve you, how we can get you plugged into the life of the body. Uh, There's also QR codes scattered around if you want to scan one of those. Um, If you need a Bible there in the back, uh, Daniel will bring you one. You can raise your hand. And if you're on your phone, we use the ESV, not the CSV, but the ESV. So uh, good good to be with you this morning. Again, happy Father's Day, uh, if that applies to you. So have you ever heard the expression, like father, like son? It isn't limited to just boys and and their dads, but a lot of us, I think, really do take on some of the characteristics of our parents. I feel like, for me, I'm a good mix of the best and and the worst parts of of both my parents. I notice that this is true when I'm, like, correcting my kids. Sometimes they sound like my dad. More often, unfortunately, I sound like my mom. Uh, Like, my brother's a lot 
becoming my dad. I feel like sometimes I'm becoming my mother, which is a whole nother issue. But like I'm like saying the same expressions and everything that she used to tell me when, when I was getting in trouble. Uh, as a parent, I'm just trying my best, right? I, I, I'm trying to lean on grace because if we're all honest with ourselves, none of us have a clue what we're doing as parents. But I do feel a lot of responsibility to try to model being a good husband for my kids and trying to be a good loving father to my kids. And above all, I really am trying to model Christ for my kids because like it or not, we grow up to be a lot like our folks and our kids will grow up to be a lot like us. They will value the things that we value. Now, for a lot of us, the idea of becoming one of our parents, becoming our dads, is, is sort of hard to think about. Um, even if you had a dad that was present and around and emotionally there for you, we all still carry wounds from our childhoods. This morning, though, as Christians in this room, uh, I want to call us back to our first identities as beloved children of God. First and foremost, before anything else, if you are in Christ, you are loved by God. You are beloved. We have a dad in God our Father who is present and who's never short with us. He's never cruel. He's never angry. He's never annoyed with you. And this text is important because it calls us to something deep and something profound. It tells us that as believers in Christ, that because of our identities as children of God, we are then to be imitators of God. So this text is going to push you towards obedience to God and towards obedience to God's word. But before we reduce the Bible to a list of do's and don'ts, I want to call you all to consider your motivation for obedience as Christians. And that motivation ought to be love. Love from God to us, love for God in us, and love for one another by God's presence in us. So perhaps you're sitting out there and you view the scriptures as a big task list. A big box check of rules. Do this, don't do that. Maybe you view the scriptures and God as some, maybe you're viewing God as some cosmic scale watcher. And just hope that at the end of the day your good deeds will outnumber your bad ones. And God is appeased for the day. Or maybe you just view Scripture as some moral code to live by. But if that's all that Scripture is to you, I want to lovingly submit to you that you do not understand how sinful you are and you don't understand how good God is. So I'm going to lean into some of this with you this morning. Also, just as a disclaimer, this text is going to push on your view of money and push on your view of culture and so I want to call you to consider what you're accepting of that is against Scripture. And I want to call you to consider your relationship to your comforts as well. So it's very possible that you're going to get your toes stepped on here in a few minutes 
uh, but God does discipline those that he loves. So we're all sinners in need of grace. So let's all just take a humble posture before this text this morning. Dill, all right, let's pray, and we're going to dive in. Lord Jesus, we need you. Lord, show us our great need for you. Lord, I just pray that in these next few moments that you would do a work in us, Lord, that you would root out any idolatry, any unbelief, Lord, just any mistrust we have of you. Show us that you are, in fact, better. We need you, Jesus. Church, if you're willing, I'd ask that you'd pray for yourself, that the Lord would bring encouragement where encouragement is needed and conviction where conviction is needed. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. It's in your holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 1, it says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So Paul, beginning in verse 1, gives us this transitional statement. He says, therefore, and again, this has become my mantra. Anytime you see the word therefore, you need to go back and find out what it's there for. hey um, Paul is saying, therefore, calling you all the way back to the beginning of the letter in Ephesians 1. He says, therefore, since you are children of God, chosen and adopted, loved before the foundation of the world, therefore, since you have been saved by grace through faith, therefore, since you have been called into God's family as his children, and therefore, since you have been saved, all of this ought to lead you to kindness and forgiveness for one another as his children. Therefore, verse 1 tells us to be imitators of God, who is our Father, and we, his children. Paul reminds us of who we are in Christ. If you go back one verse to Ephesians 4.32, it says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, and here is your identity as God in Christ has forgiven you. Paul tells us that we're God's children because Christ has endured the cross on our behalf in order to forgive us. Because of Jesus' perfect and complete sacrifice, our debt has been paid and our adoption has been completed in Jesus if our faith is in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. So we are then called to imitate God, not as a means to get God's love, but because God has demonstrated his love for us by sending his son to die on the cross. Because of our sin, we deserve punishment. And Jesus came and died the death that was ours to die and rose from the dead to defeat sin and death on our behalf once and for all. So now we know we're loved, and therefore the love of God to us motivates our obedience. God has accepted Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. The text tells us that it is a pleasing aroma to God the Father. This harkens all the way back to the Old Testament when they would sacrifice lambs to atone for sins in accordance with God's law. The fire would burn up the sacrifice and it was said to be a pleasing aroma to God. And Jesus sacrificed himself to atone for our sins. 
And it's pleased God and it has satisfied his wrath against sin. So now we Christians are a pleasing aroma to the nostrils of God. So when we sin, he doesn't smell our stench. He doesn't smell the stench of death. He smells the blood of Christ interceding on our behalf. We're loved. We obey then because we're loved. We're not loved because we obey. We obey because we're loved. We're able to love and we're able to follow God because as Christians, God's Holy Spirit enables us to do so. So sinners struggling with shame and sin and guilt in here today, if you are a Christian, if you are saved by God through faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sin, if you are a believer in Jesus in both word and deed, then you are dearly loved because you are a child of God. You have been purchased. You have been purchased with intention, and you have been purchased with purpose by your heavenly Father who loves you in Christ. The text is calling you to be what you are in Christ, a child of God. You are set free from sin to love and serve God. So if you're struggling in here this morning, be encouraged. Even in your sin, God still wants you and God still loves you. This isn't, however, a motivation to be reckless and do whatever you want, but to pursue holiness. And this means that we die to ourselves. We give up our own sinful wants and desires for the glory of God and the good of others. We let go of sin and we die to ourselves. We can't imitate God without taking up our own cross. Imitating God is following the call of God on our lives to be holy as he is holy. And what does holiness look like? So Paul in the next section hits on themes of light and darkness. Let's dig into these things a little bit together. Look at verse 3. It says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. All right, so he lists three things here. We'll start with impurity. This is often coupled with sexual immorality, but it isn't limited to, it isn't limited to sexual sin. Impurity is talking about all forms of filth. Paul is saying that we should pursue purity in all forms. And then he highlights sexual immorality and greed. And they're related to one another. I want to I show you how. First, the language of this means there isn't even to be a trace among the church of God within sexual immorality and covetousness, a.k.a. greed. The word sexual immorality in the Greek is the word porneia, which is where we get our English word for pornography. This covers all types of sexual sins, from adultery, lust, porn usage, homosexuality, bestiality, and fornication, which is sex with someone you aren't married to. So therefore, it can be said that sexual immorality is both a mental sin and a physical sin. Sexual sin is idolatry because it is a result of not honoring God. So all sin proceeds from our hearts, but when we are in sexual sin, it is a worship problem. 
We worship ourselves when we sin, but that is really revealed in sexual sin because of how selfish it is by nature. We are consumed culturally with sexual temptation, and church, we have become so desensitized to it. Listen, we have a whole month celebrating a sexual ethic that is completely an affront to what God has created good. It's in our sports, it's in our stores, it's even in the beer. And I'm afraid the church has become so blind to this. This ought to grieve us as believers, and I don't think it does always. Look, the Bible's not anti-sex. The Bible's actually pro-intimacy within the confines of marriage. And culture has hijacked sex and made it about us and made it about our wants. Culture has hijacked sex and made it about us and what we can get out of it. Culture says, yes, sex, whenever and with whomever. I just want to pause for a second. I just want to ask you just to consider, are you in sin sexually? Are you looking at porn? Do you have a lustful imagination? Are you in a relationship that isn't honoring God? Are you sleeping with someone that's not your spouse? grace and peace to you, but you need to confess and you need to repent or it will destroy you. It's not just homosexuals who are sexually immoral. Heterosexual uh, sexual ethics are problematic as well. Listen, marriage is a gift to us. It's given to us by God in order to point our hearts back to him as we are reminded of the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. And yet what we're seeing culturally is that marriage rates are in sharp decline because more people are cohabitating, living together before they're married with no plans of really getting married. That's really common in churches. And none of that honors God. Culturally, we are trying to redefine what marriage is. So this is what I'll say. Gay marriage is not really marriage as it is against God. Also, being married in your heart is not real marriage because that's against God. So if you fall into one of these categories, repent. If you're living with someone that's not your spouse, commit to one another in the way Christ is committed to you. God is offering us grace and forgiveness, yet we cannot have grace and forgiveness apart from acknowledging that we're sinners. We are treasonous rebels against the holy God. We want to do things our own way. We want to be the God of our own lives. And we want to say, yeah, we're cool with God. But listen, you don't receive grace and forgiveness without repentance. 
Repentance is the acknowledgement that you need to change because you're in sin and you need the grace of God on your life. And then you allow him to change you. So some of you caught in the sexual sin uh, grip this morning, I want to tell you Jesus is offering you something better. Repent of your sexual sin and honor God with your life because he is worthy of your life. He is worthy of your devotion. And that's what you were made for. So hang on to that just for a second while we talk about greed. We'll come back to this. So Paul talks about greed or covetousness, meaning he can define it as it's the desire for more. So the 10th commandment is don't covet. When you covet, you break the first commandment of having no other gods besides God himself. All right, here we go. In my experience, the two hardest things to talk to people about are the way that they parent and how they handle their money. So we're going to talk about money today uh, in this for a few minutes. Money is hard because none of us think we're greedy. Like, I've never had a single person tell me, Pastor, I think I'm greedy. Nobody's ever told me that. And I think it's probably the case because consumerism is just in the air we breathe. So I want to tell you this. We're all greedy. And if you don't agree with me, let me show you why this is true. Greed is discontentment. So do you want to know how you're feeding, if you're feeding the idol of greed in your own life? You borrow money for things that you don't need. How much credit card debt do you have? Also, I promise you, you don't need that car. I'm not saying you don't need a car, but you don't need that car. If you can't pay for it without going into debt, you don't need it. Some of you are drowning in debt trying to keep up a lifestyle that you feel entitled to. Some of you are drowning in debt at the altar of comfort and convenience. And while you may not see it, and you may not agree with me, when you spend more than you have for things you don't need, it is a sign that you are discontent with God's provisions for your life. When you live beyond your means you're bowing to the idol of greed. And this isn't just for the adults in this room. Teens, older kids, yo pros, that's young professionals for the layperson. Um, you can be greedy. You can be greedy too. Maybe you don't have debt because you still live at home with your parents. But... If you look at your peers and you want what they have and you're discontent with your own car that your parents bought for you and your own shoes that your parents bought for you and your own clothing and your own house and whatever else it may be, 
you are greedy too. When you look at what others have and want their vacations or their possessions or their spouses or their careers or anything else and you grow discontent with your life and what God has called you to steward, you are greedy. And if at the end of the month you just have crumbs to offer the kingdom of God, if God only gets your financial leftovers because you have too much consumer debt or you only care about yourself and your things, you're greedy. Both sexual sin and greed are a consequence of looking at the landscape of your life and thinking, what God has given me is not enough for me. When you are controlled by sexual sin and by greed, you function as if God is inadequate. And this is so dangerous for every single one of us. Men in my position fall all the time because they mishandle money or they fall into sexual sin. So if you're ruled by sexual sin or you're ruled by greed, or you're ruled by both. There's grace for you, but not so you can continue to sacrifice to your idols. You need to repent of your functional unbelief that God isn't good enough for you. God says he's your provider, and he gives good gifts to his children. Listen, changing your behavior doesn't save you. Belief in Christ does. So pursue Christ and his righteousness. When you're faithful in the small things, more is added unto you. So pursue holiness. Pursue purity, both sexually and financially. And look, if you're feeling convicted by any of this, that's God's grace on your life. You can repent and you can believe that Jesus is better and is offering you everything you need in him for this life, for his glory. Let's keep going. Verse 4. Paul offers a warning for the unrepentant. He says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or is, who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in, the, inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Believers, don't be crude. Don't be crass. Don't be filthy in your speech. Because it doesn't glorify God. Rather, we're called to replace those things with thanksgiving. And why would that help? Because when we are thankful to God, we can't worship our idols. Thankfulness to God is worship of God. However, if you remain unrepentant in your sexual immorality or in your greed, Scripture calls you an idolater, and there is no inheritance in God's kingdom for you. Let me first say this. Christians, we will struggle with sin. 
But remember the motivation for obedience is God's love for us. We're not loved because we obey. But because we're loved, we get to obey. And because we're loved, we're offered repentance by grace through faith. So we're to root out all forms of sin and idolatry by the, by the power of Christ's work in us because we are his children. And because we're his children, we're called to imitate God. Sin is ever-present, but communion with the Holy Spirit allows us to engage in the war against sin in our lives. And we praise God, not just through empty words, but with hearts that have been changed by God. Hearts that are changed by God to love him fully. And therefore, we will look and act more like Jesus as he grows us in our faith and in our knowledge of him. So live like him. When we're filled with praise for God, we are filled with power from God by his Holy Spirit. So the warning here in verse 6 is not to minimize your sin or minimize the sin of those around you. The warning here is not to be led astray by those who do so. We know what truth is through the word. So let this be a warning to you. If you are not anchored in the the word of God, you will be held captive to the ways of the world and you will be deceived and the wrath of God will be upon those whose faith is not in Christ for salvation. But again, we have the cross in view. Look at verse 7. It says, Therefore, don't become partners with them. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you're, you are the light of, in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Paul tells us, again, we have another therefore. Therefore, because of the calling on your life as a child of God, and because of the love of God to you, given to you by grace and forgiveness, don't participate in the sins of those who he calls the sons of disobedience. Remember what you were. Sinners walking in darkness, but now you have received the revealing light of Christ. So be what you are, Christian. Live in the goodness. Live in the righteousness. Live in the faithful truth of God who makes your salvation possible. Paul tells us to try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And we know what is pleasing to the Lord because we see it in the word of God. We know what is pleasing to the Lord. It's obedience to what he has called us to. You have to be in the word to to know the scriptures and to know God's character and to know his commands. But listen, this isn't purely a works-based morality box check. It's about hearts that are set on honoring the God of the universe. And that should be our first goal as Christians that God would get honor and glory through our lives. And so many of us function like this doesn't really matter. And God is going to save us. God is somehow inclined and and, um, has to save us, obligated to save us, because we claim to be Christians. But just examine your life. 
Are you, as verse 11 says, taking part in works of darkness? If the answer is yes, stop, repent, and believe that Jesus Christ rose from the grave and defeated sin and death on your behalf so you don't have to be enslaved to sin. And if the answer is no, then praise God. Now your call is to call those things out in boldness and in confidence and in love. Don't take part in them. Flee from temptation, but don't hide from things that are inconsistent with the Bible. Don't be passive. You have the Holy Spirit in you, so now you can be bold. One commentator says it this way. We have to decide whether we will practice the culture or practice the faith. There can be no true morality without true faithfulness. There can be no real witness without holiness. Our identities as believers and God's calling on our lives should motivate us to holiness. We are to imitate God because we are his children. Nothing else will satisfy the longings of our hearts. Our motive should be to be more holy and more Christ-like in order that Christ would be more known in this world. We are to live as children of light, not only to do what God commands for us, but also out of a desire to please him. We should delight in the things that he delights in. Let's look at verse 13. It says, But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The words of Paul remind us that darkness is exposed by light. This is, again, a warning. Paul quotes an ancient hymn that calls us back to the resurrection, and he says, basically, wake up. Don't be oblivious to the obvious dangers around you. Sin will easily trap you. So be wise. Don't persist in sin, but flee from it. Paul tells us to make the best use of our time. Having been redeemed by Christ, we are then now to redeem our time in order to glorify him. Paul tells us to understand what the will of God is. We know this through the word of God. So this is more than having right behavior and sound doctrine. Those two things are important. But this is more than that. This first means that we think and function out of our union with Christ. If you are a Christian, you have been united with Christ through his resurrection, and now we get to live with him in unity. So the will of God, then, is that we would know God. That's the will of God, that we know him intimately, we know him in love, and we are in relationship with him. We are called to live as light because we know God. Our faith is not about what we do. Our faith is about who we are in Christ. And if you reduce your faith to only what we have to do, then you miss the whole point of the gospel. 
And that is you have been bought dearly by the blood of Jesus. Our faith is rooted in the fact that as believers in Jesus, Christ has forgiven us. And now he dwells inside of us. Your faith is more than doing and saying the right things. Your faith is more than thinking all the right things. But that you've been saved. You've been set apart. And not because of anything you have done. But simply because you're loved. And Christ is in you. The will of God for us is that we would know him. And then we would delight in him. And that we would worship him. If we get those priorities in line, then all the other stuff, the right behavior and the right belief, proceeds from that place as Christ sanctifies us and grows us in himself. So Paul then offers an example. Verse 18, he says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. But this is more than just a do and a do not. Paul says, don't get drunk. But why? Well, a number of reasons. I'll highlight a few. But the drunkenness is not the point that Paul's trying to make. So drunkenness lowers your inhibitions, and therefore you're more susceptible to sin because you make dumb decisions when you are inebriated. Drunkenness dishonors God. And if you're desiring to honor God then you should do what he says. So there are a couple of reasons why you shouldn't get drunk, uh, but this is more than just a rule in Scripture. Paul says, rather than getting drunk with intoxicants, be filled with the Spirit. This is at least the fourth time Paul has used this filling language in this letter. Paul is telling the church to put away something that holds us under its influence. And Paul is then telling us to be filled with the things of the Lord, who is filling the church with his glory in order to renew and redeem the universe for his glory. We empty of ourselves in order to be filled by God, and that leads to worship. Look at the last part of this text. Paul says, then we are to address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for every, and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Being content with the provisions of God, being content in our identities as believers, being meaningfully connected to God's family, the church, leads to worship and leads to worship together. This is one of those passages in Scripture where church membership and church attendance is apply, implied as a command. Listen, your faith is personal, yes, but it's also corporate. You are called to a personal and an active faith in Jesus, but these verses show us that we are called to this faith together as well in community and in covenantal partnership with a local body of believers. And then this text tells us we are to speak Jesus to one another by speaking the word over one another and by singing as a body of Christ. So here's a thought I had. Even if you don't have the best voice, like maybe you don't sound like a mix between Fergie and Jesus, like that's okay. 
You, Treasure, I knew you'd like that one. <laughs> Sing anyway, man. If you don't have a good voice, I don't care. Sing. The musical expression of the church involves singing to God and over one another. Dudes, this is for you. Men, listen to me. Sing and sing loud. Sing loud and proud because it is an honor and a privilege to get to make a joyful noise to the Lord. One of the reasons we will never have a kids ministry that silos our older kids off every week back there is because corporate worship is a spiritual discipline. So let's model worship for our kids. Let's have a culture of worship in this church and in our homes. Just so you're clear, we're working towards a monthly to like a bi-weekly thing for our older kids, but there will probably never be a time when all the kids are back there consistently. I want to teach our kids corporate worship. It's a privilege to gather together because it's a privilege to have been called by God into salvation. So worship. Sing to the Lord because he is worthy of your love and your devotion. We worship out of thankfulness, the text says, for everything. The cross, the resurrection, the faith necessary for salvation, and the provision of God to us to provide forgiveness and to provide us a family. We are also then to submit to one another as God the Son submitted to the will of God the Father for the benefit of the church. We are to submit to one another for the benefit of the church. This can mean a bunch of different things. This can mean laying down our musical preferences in order to serve the body. This could mean serving somewhere where you'd prefer not to so that others are aided in worship. This could mean being in community with hard people in order that they may grow in Christ. This could mean getting out of bed and getting here on a Sunday morning. The weakest I'm going away from my notes here. This is a dangerous, dangerous game. The weakest among us are our culture setters. Think about that. Like the, the least furthest along are the people that set the culture. Get here. Be a part. Plug in. Invest. We submit to one another. We honor one another. We push one another to holiness because Christ is holy and he is our authority. Because of the Holy Spirit and the lives of other believers, we are submitting to one another for the good of others by the Spirit of Christ. And when we do so, we are reflecting Christ's glory. Not because we deserve this submission, but because Christ is honored when the church pursues love and unity together. So two things and I'll be done. It's a long text today. Are you walking in love towards God and the church? If you claim to be a Christian, are you really imitating God? Or are you just going through the motions?
Listen, imitating God is so hard. It's impossible on our own. It's impossible on our own. You can't imitate God without the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in your life. But if you want to know what God looks like, you look to Jesus, who is God, and who is our example on how to imitate God. He is gentle, and he is lowly, and he is kind. And do these things define you, Christian? Listen, there's so much grace for us because we can't do this on our own. We've been called children of God, and therefore God is not mad at us. I think some of you need to hear that again. God is not mad at you. But God is worthy of your devotion. We don't get to say we're Christians and not willfully and joyfully and intentionally live in obedience to him. So examine your life. Are you walking in sin Maybe you're realizing it for the first time this morning. It's the kindness of the Lord that is offering you repentance by faith in him. This isn't a sermon meant to lead you to fear or guilt or shame or condemnation for sexual sin or debt or drunkenness or anything else. But it is a calling on the Lord, from the Lord on your life, to be holy because you belong to Jesus. So walk in grace, walk in obedience, walk in holiness, because God, your Father, is holy. Secondly, I'd ask you to consider your relationship to the family of God. Are you living in isolation as a Christian? Do you have anybody in your life saying hard things to you? In the name of Jesus. The calling of God on our lives is to join him in mission with the family of God. So that's one reason why we push community so hard here. It's because when we're left to ourselves, we are so blind to our sin. Some of you do things without any consideration on the, on the consequences. And that's why community is so important. We need the body of Christ for accountability and wisdom. We need the body of Christ for accountability when our desires for God are lacking and when our desires for holiness are lacking. What would it look like for you to confess your sin struggles to a group of people and receive love and healing and restoration from them as they have the Holy Spirit in them? Maybe those of you who are struggling with your finances should open that up to community and receive some help in order that the Lord will be honored with the totality of your life. Grace and peace, but the church is a gift to you. So invest deeply. Submit to the lordship of Jesus in your life and then submit to one another as scripture commands us to do. Be humble. Receive correction because that's a gift for you. And be holy because our God is holy. So walk in faith and walk in confidence because God, your Father, has called you a beloved child of God. So let's all repent and worship the Lord 
together. Let's pray.